Stronger than a whale, he can swim anywhere. He can breathe underwater and go flying through the air. The favor of Atlantis is the prince of the sea. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Paul Spitaro, and that is Scott Gardner. Hello. Hello. Together, we make Titans Two. <laughs> or should we be the the terrible two? The, Something like the that. The tedious two. <laughs> tired two. <laughs> the tired two. Yeah, you know, pulling back the curtain slightly. We we record when we can. So right now it's fairly early on a Sunday morning, and the two of us are sitting on our computers like a couple of fools recording. Uh, I, you know, I, I like to say we're recording for your listening pleasure, but I think we're recording for our talking pleasure more than that. Right. So, you know, if there is any listening pleasure involved, I'm very happy about that. But it's, again, I, I've never really been aware of what our, you know, what our distribution numbers are and how many people do and don't listen to us. And I'm probably afraid to actually know because if I find out how few people are listening, it's going to be like, oh, boy, what the hell am I wasting <laughs> my time for? But the reality is, you know. The, the, the most fun for me is getting together and talking and just having having a forum for talking comics and and then you know the friendship thing and all of that i uh i stopped caring about the numbers a long time ago i mean we lost the when we went to the website we lost the ability to actually see the numbers but you know back before we had the website and we were going through um libsyn you know you you could actually check on the numbers and it was always much higher than than I thought, you know, that I that I would have guessed that it was. So I would imagine it's still that way. But yeah, we have I don't know something five hundred something like that Facebook uh, followers on you know right. the two true uh, the back to the bins page. So I'm assuming our, our listening numbers are at least that high. Uh, oh, there's <laughs> you know there's always the people that you just you know that listen but you know that never chime in type of thing you know they're just they're just passive you know they they listen to the show they may not necessarily ever write in they may not necessarily have joined the the facebook group but they're out there you know right and i've met some of them so you know i i know that that's the case so yeah my, my son went off to work this morning and he was wearing his two true freaks t-shirt and uh <laughs> he was like today i'm being your uh what is it like your publicity director or whatever? I said, "How are you doing that?" Said, well, I'm wearing the shirt. <laughs> okay, you know. You need to get you need to get new shirts. Those shirts are woefully outdated because the website that's on them doesn't exist anymore. So, 
Yeah, I'm, I I always wonder if somebody's going to see the shirt and say, "Oh, that's cool. I listened to that." You know, but yeah, no. Right. <laughs> never, <laughs> it's never once happened to me. So. <laughs> now, to be fair, I I, oh, I only wear the shirt once in a while. I don't wear it. It's not like I'm out with it all the time, but you know, it'd still be nice if somebody right. if somebody says, "Oh, where'd you get that shirt? I listened to them." And I could say, well, I'm not one of them, the two, but I'm one of them. <laughs> so anyway, uh, today we, Scott and I were confused and confuddled and all of that stuff, which is not uncommon because we, you know, I, I, I just happened to be reading a book and I says, I'll just do this book. And Scott was like, did we do this one before? And then I was like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and I don't think we have, but we decided to make it kind of a theme thing because I was reading Submariner 34, which is kind of the introduction of the prototype defenders kind of but not really but maybe uh and then to make it a theme we're doing 34 and 35 which is the second part of the two stories that kind of conclude that little team up uh so it, it it's not really the defenders because i really think you know without dr strange it's not the defenders uh well, see but, i I was under the mistaken impression that this story ended with somebody dubbing the team, naming the team the Defenders, and I was kind of sad to find that that's not the case, because I, I thought for sure that's how 35 ended. So, Well, let me just see. Now, set, now 35 was cover dated September, uh, March of 71, and when was, uh, what was the first uh, Defenders in... in Listen, I'm drawing a blank on the uh, Marvel feature. Marvel feature, yeah. What was the first date on that? It must be Marvel feature where they actually name themselves the Defenders. But for some reason, I thought it was it was this storyline where that actually happened. Yeah, I'm looking to see now what the cover date of Marvel feature number one, which we have covered on this show. That oh, I did do, we? Yeah, I do specifically remember covering that at some point. Yeah, mobile feature number one is December of 1971, so not that long afterwards. It's in the same calendar year, so they must have seen, you know, this this must have been popular enough. I'm guessing, uh, and and I really am guessing or, you know, surmising, whatever word you want to use, but I don't know, you know, I don't have any facts on this, but I'm guessing that, you know, come March of 71, you know, as far as the cover date again, uh, they must have seen a bump in the sales of Submariner based on this team up, and thought, "Hey, let's let's take a shot at this." And then they uh, they came up with Marvel feature, you know, with with the Defenders at that point, which uh, you know they eliminated the Silver Surfer kind of uh, and brought in Doctor Strange. Um, I, you know, we've talked before about the Silver Surfer being kind of early, you know, in, in this era where Stan was kind of protective of the character and didn't really let it let it be overused. Uh, and they did eventually, you know, I think it was Defenders number two, which is the fifth story of the Defenders that they uh, that he, he let the Silver Surfer was in there. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I would imagine that that might have something to do with the fact that he was not included in the group initially that you know stan was kind of right. holding back on it a little bit uh in fact in the notes for my story uh or, or for the first issue rather 
it, it mentions that this is the first Silver Surfer story or first comic that Silver Surfer appeared in that was not written by Stan Lee. Right. So, you know, and this, this picks up as far as his character goes. This is the first issue that he's in after his uh, short run for volume one ended uh, after 18 issues. Which I don't know what the date is on that. Let's. That's another thing to just quickly check. Let's see. Silver Surfer. Yeah. I was looking at the the Marvel Wiki on both of these issues, wondering if maybe there was some mention in there about the origins of all this. But I, w- I was kind of sad to find that there wasn't. I would love to know. Um, you know what? What was the thought process here? You know what? What caused Roy to think of these characters um, teaming up this way? Yeah, we, we'll we'll get into it a little bit with the synopsis, but it does feel to me like it's more team up driven than it is story driven. It's like you know, let's find an excuse to get these three together. Uh, you know, right, the, right. The, yeah. It's it's not like oh I came up with this great story and and it, and it really just fits to have the three of them get together. It's it's I want I want to have the three of them team up and let me come up with a threat for them. Uh, right. So Silver Surfer number eighteen was cover dated September of seventy, and then again the first issue of R two is dated February of seventy one. So you have about you know, five months. Uh, where he's on the table, and it's funny because the, the Silver Surfer ended with him declaring uh, basically war on humanity because they had mistreated him, and you know he had enough of it. And then I guess in five well, months he calmed down. That was actually one of my notes. <laughs> yeah, that was actually one of my notes. Well, we we can get into the synopsis, and then we'll cover this in the notes section. But yeah, that was that was one of my uh, notes on the issue. Was there's a line of dialogue that the Surfer has that I was like, wait, what? So, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that afterwards, though. Okay, so hang on. Let me just open up my page here. Silver Surfer number 34, once again, cover dated February of 1970. Oh, Submariner. Oh, excuse Submariner. me, Submariner. Submariner. Yeah, 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 whichever. <laughs> Hulk number 34. <laughs> Submariner number 34, dated February of 1971. Uh, it is written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Sal Buscema. Inked by Jim Mooney, lettered by Audie Simic, and edited by Stan Lee. The cover shows <clears throat> the three heroes, again, Hulk, Submariner, and the Silver Surfer, all in the air. Uh, and it appears that one missile has just exploded and another missile is headed towards them. Uh, while there's cannon uh, tanks on the, on the uh, ground shooting up at them. And you see a lot of little people. Uh, I think it's a pretty dynamic cover, cover, and it's a little atypical because, you know, they're they're being shot at and and in kind of a position where uh, they're being thrown by the missile. So it's not really your typical heroic poses. Uh, and the cover is by Sal Buscema. The story is that as the Hulk unknowingly trespasses on the fortified island of San Pablo or Pablo, it's that's my island. He attracts the army led by its dictator, El General. While Namor monitors the conflict, the Submariner hopes he can manipulate the brute into aiding him in destroying a device that poses a threat to the entire world. Also detecting the presence of the Silver Surfer in the area, Namor decides he should enlist the Surfer's aid as well. 
Going to the surfer first, the two engage in a brief battle until the Submariner can explain his situation and the two agree to work together to stop the humans from destroying themselves. Going to the Hulk, the three end up battling El General's army, smashing apart his weapons and defeating his military, thus allowing the people of San Pablo to revolt and oust their leader. In the aftermath of the battle, Namor, Silver Surfer, and Hulk fly off to deal with the menace which Namor had gathered them all to stop in the first place. So it is really a very simple story. It is reminiscent to me of a lot of the early stories that Stan Lee put together with, you know, in Thor and in Iron Man, uh, where, you know, oh, we're going to just come up with this fictional warmongering uh, despot and and have our hero, uh, you know, take him out. it's you know certainly oversimplifying you know they they fight the army for you know two minutes and then the the rebels win and we can leave them because now they're going to all live happily ever after and i think real life has shown us that it just does not work that way but in comic books it does uh i think you know the big the big thing on this the hook on this story is just having the three of them together because i think that's like just such a cool thing uh but the story itself doesn't really give us much. You know, we have our uh, mandatory battle between heroes early on with the Submariner facing off against the Silver Surfer. Uh, the, the Hulk, it, it, in some ways, he reminded me of the uh, the graphic novel we did by Starlin when he had the uh, the octopus thing on his head because he just seems like he's <laughs> he, he's just kind of along for the ride and and he 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 doesn't seem as dumb as he's presented in some other stories, which I appreciate, actually. Uh, his, his his dialogue and his vocabulary is, is lacking, but he seems much more in tune with what's going on than, than you know, he's just... His, his big thing isn't so much that he doesn't understand. His thing is that he's got a hair-trigger t- hair temper and that he's just not willing to, to sit down and listen to it. But it's not a lack of understanding, at least the way I'm reading him here and i kind of appreciate that roy did that and i think he may have been one of the first writers to really kind of pull on that distinction a little bit which again i i really like the thing about this that in going over it that surprised me a little bit was you know salbusim is going to become one of the pivotal hulk artists as time goes on uh and clearly he hadn't really developed his hulk drawing skills yet for all i know this is the first time he's drawing them and i don't know that but i'm just saying uh it's definitely early on it's before he made a reputation drawing him certainly uh he he does have shots where it's what my good friend scott gardner calls the fat ass hulk uh in in particular (laughs) on page three in the middle uh middle right panel uh it's it's like he went out of his way to draw him as a fat ass uh but overall you know like you could see he's developing that a little bit his his submariner and silver surfer are actually far better than his hulk in this issue uh el general is just a ridiculous you know caricature of a character who's who's nothing uh but overall you know it's a fun story to read i think this was in the era where marvel was trying to do one issue stories and we have a two-issue story here, but each one is kind of self-contained. So 
I think I think that's what they were going for at this point. So this this was Roy kind of bypassing that rule, but just the same doing what he you know doing what he was supposed to do with it. Uh, I don't want to let it be that I'm blasting the art in this totally because there are some shots in here where where it really looks sharp to me. I like the splash page with the Hulk coming out of the water a lot. Uh, the next panel is a close up of the Hulk's face. I think it looks kind of cool. Uh, so you know, again, I thought he drew the Submariner and Silver Surfer well. So, you know, it, it's definitely got some some pluses. It's just his Hulk is a little just a little too beefy and should be more muscular and threatening looking. What'd you think of it? I, I find this very very ironic that you you quote me and my my disdain for the for Herb Trimpey's fat ass Hulk. When my my very first note on this one was, now this is a Hulk I like. I kind of, honestly, I think I kind of missed that panel on page two. Uh, was it page two or was it page three you said the fat-ass Hulk? Page three. Well, actually, the on page three, the one where he's leaping, he's, yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the fat-ass Hulk. And you know, that, yeah. look, that looks to me like a Gil Kane page. That, especially that shot, the fat-ass jumping Hulk. That really looks like Gil Kane to me. <laughs> but I, my my reaction to that was based on page one. I mean, the splash page that opens the issue. That's, I love that. I think that looks really good. Um, you know, it's the Hulk. He's emerging from the sea. And he just, I, I think he just looks awesome here. Yeah, he looks he very is, threatening in that shot. Yeah, he is very wide, but he doesn't look fat to me um but yeah some of the other ones i I will agree with you there's a there's a little bit of the fat ass hulk going on there but for the most part i really liked how the hulk i I really like the art altogether in this issue i was very impressed with the art on this i mean i've always liked uh sal buscema anyway and as i've gotten older i've become more and more of a fan of his stuff this looks really good and while I'm not seeing a whole lot of Jim Mooney's style in here, I like Jim Mooney as well. Um, I just think it looks very well inked. I, 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 I like that I'm not really seeing a style imposed over Buscema's style because I think Buscema already has a, a really nice, distinct style of his own. So, you know, Mooney did the kind of job that I like where he's just enhancing the art, but he's not imposing his own style over anything. Exactly. And I think it's sharp. I, I think it's a, a really nice looking issue art wise. Um, that was my biggest takeaway from this. It is a very simple story. And you're right. I got the same vibe because I had to check the date at one point. I'm like, what? I thought this was a lot later. And then when I looked at it, I'm like, well, it is a lot later. This is uh, 1970 at this point. And here they are still doing a story very much like the very, very early days of the Marvel Universe where it was generic communist threat, you know? And so it's that kind of knocks it down a little bit in that regard. You know, the the villain is, you know, the threat is very lame and very kind of outdated even by this point. But... It's everything else. It's you know getting these three in the same room together, and how they play with each other, and that's really cool. And I and I really uh, love the sequence where uh, Namor 
you know, he's trying to recruit the the surfer. He's trying to gain his his trust and and seeking his help. Yet, you know, this is a Marvel comic, so if two heroes are meeting for the first time, they got a tussle, and it works really well. It's not contrived or anything, and it's I, I you know the thing that really makes me wonder what was Roy thinking getting these three together is that you've got three really strong personalities here that kind of overlap in a, in a certain way. And so just the thought of these three even teaming up together is kind of wild, but he makes it work. I mean, it, it ends up coming off really well where um, you've kind of got the dynamic where once they kind of come to a common understanding, Namor and the surfer actually get along really well and so it's basically the two of them wrangling the Hulk and and having him as kind of the reluct, reluctant third member. And I like I I really like the team dynamic they have going here. And um, it is interesting that the Surfer was pretty quickly swapped out for Doctor Strange once once the Defenders became an actual thing. And it makes me wonder what would it have been like going forward if, if this had been the core of the Defenders and and not bringing in Doctor Strange or not replacing the Surfer with Doctor Strange. It, it probably would have been a very different uh, dynamic, a very different kind of book. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I really I enjoyed this a lot. I, I had a couple other. Let me see. What was my other notes here uh, on page five? I couldn't help but laugh because before I read the next panel, I had a reaction. Let me go back to page five here. It was uh, it was where um, oh he's you know so Namor has the idea that this uh, weather experiment thing is is going to be a danger and everything, and he's he's talking about humans and he says I could warn them of their danger, but when Namor speaks, their ears are deaf, their hearts are hard, and I'm thinking, it's because you're always such an asshole to them. <laughs> and then that's exactly what uh, Vashti says, basically. He says, uh, but, you know, in a much nicer way, he goes, a price paid, my prince, for your rash, ill-tempered youth. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yep, he's basically telling them the same thing. If you weren't such a raging dick to the surface people all the time, maybe they would actually listen to you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty so much the bottom funny. line. <laughs> you know, now, go ahead. On, on page six, um, yeah, I was really thrown by this because I... Uh, you got to forgive me. I know. I know this is probably comic book heresy to some people. I tried to read the original Stan Lee Silver Surfer and just could not get through it. Um, it, it just was not my cup of tea. So when I'm reading this, and the Surfer said, you know, he's kind of, uh, you know, talking to himself, reminiscing to himself, and he says, "Now that I have forsworn my vow of revenge," uh, I was like, "Wait, what?" So I was totally unaware of that. I had to actually look that up. And, um, you know, it's as you said, uh, you know, it was on the Marvel Wiki saying that, you know, in the very last issue uh, of his series, you know, written by Stan, that he had made this vow. So that was all news to me. I found that very interesting. Um, I can only assume, seeing as how this issue was edited by Stan, that he was okay with this 
change of direction, uh, you know, from Roy Thomas and everything. But I, I think, you know, of course, there's, you know, we've had decades of continuity since and getting to know the character and all that. But it it would seem very out of character uh, to me for the for the surfer to have. You know, to have vowed vengeance against mankind—that that's why it threw me so much. Because I'm like, wait, wh- when was this type of thing? Yeah. So. Now, if I told this, I've told the story before that when I met Stan Lee, that was actually my question to him was, "You never finished that story from the Silver Surfer," uh, <laughs> which is, you know, when you think about it, it's kind of a dopey question to have asked. But Stan, you know, like, to his credit, acted as if that was absolutely, you know, a very important question to be asking him. Uh, they did retcon it out in a book called Web Spinners. Um, and I'm temp- I remember that book. I'm tempted yeah. to say it was like Michael Golden art, but I may be totally wrong on that. I'm not sure about that. Don't hold me to that because I may, may be like incredibly wrong. Um, but they, they had a story with Spider-Man and the Silver Surfer where they kind of resolved that story somehow, and it turned out it was like the Psycho Man manipulating him. And that's that's why he vowed vengeance on the world. Um, but yeah, as far as you know, actual uh, publication continuity as opposed to retconning, they just that that one sentence is the only mention of it. Yeah, I've, I'm over it. <laughs> if it's issue four of Web Spinners, because I'm, I'm lo- I just was looking at a uh, what do you call it, a gallery of covers. And issue four of Web Spinners has the surfer in it, and it says it's by uh, Keith Giffen was the penciler on that. Okay, so to- that, totally that wrong. Familiar? Yeah, that, that's probably. I'm confident that's accurate. I'm going to give uh, the internet credit for being more right than me more often than not, even though the internet is, <laughs> is messed up and gives us a lot of wrong information. But then apparently, so do I. That's. That's another one of those series that uh, when I see issues on the cheap, I've been picking them up um, just out of curiosity. That one and Untold Tales of Spider-Man are two that uh, I'm kind of intrigued by because they're my my understanding is they're kind of uh, you know writing in the gutter, so to speak, you know, between moments of continuity type of thing. And and I don't know, something in me is kind of a sucker for those types of things. I'm a sucker um, for those when they're well done. When when you re- yes, when you yeah. read them and you think, wow, they, they did a really good job of fitting that in and using it to explain some little thing you know that went on, uh, and I, I really enjoy that. But sometimes it seems so forced, right. and it's like you know, uh, so sometimes I, I I marvel over, well, how could this person ever have slept because he clearly never had a free moment, <laughs> right? You know, but right. but beyond I that, found, I, I, um, I I can't. I can't speak to web spinners because I don't know that I've actually read any of the issues, but I found untold tales of Spider-Man was, was really done, well done in that regard. Um, I'm looking here. I, I, I know I have a couple of different issues, but the ones I specifically sought out were the last two issues of the series. Cause there was uh, stories in there of the black suited Spider-Man, by um, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends, who were the team on that back in the day, and I love that stuff. So yeah, I had to pick those up, but I haven't actually gotten around to reading them yet. So mm. let's see what else do I have on this. 
Uh, actually, the only other note I had was uh, I caught a spelling error on page 10, fourth panel. Um, Namor is going on and on about something, and he says, Some leagues distant, the land crawlers construct a devil device, blah, blah, blah. I, he means construct, but the R is missing from the word, and I don't know why, but it just jumped right out to me. So We'll have to curse uh, Artie Simic for that one. <laughs> Stan was uh, asleep at the editing wheel on, on that particular one. He didn't catch it. But um, but that's pretty much all I've got on this issue. Um, I, I dig it a lot. You know, lame villain and lame threat and everything. I, I like this one a lot. And don't we see San, San Pablo again at some point, don't we? Isn't that the one that ended up constructing like a like a statue or am I thinking of an Avengers issue? I'm not sure about that. I don't, I don't believe we ever see El General again, uh, but I'm pretty sure, no. but, but it's very possible that we see the Island again. Um, you know, just one other note on this thing. And I, you know, we, we've talked in the past how we appreciate, you know, attention to detail that that's always a cool thing. And, uh, one of the things in this that constitutes attention to detail was that they, uh, in the in the what you call in the I'm sorry I'm just blanking here for a second but uh in the, on the on the splash page as the Hulk is coming out of the water he's got seaweed hanging off of him which I just kind of yeah I just kind of dig that yeah at first I thought it was like tattered remains of a shirt or something but no it is seaweed and that is that's awesome I really like that yeah I loved how the Hulk look it looks in this there's there's a <laughs> little bit of um. You know, a little bit remaining of like the the Herb Trimpy model, but for the most part, th- this is the the Hulk the way I like to see him. I, I think, you know, of of the, um, I don't know how to describe it. You know, of, of like the golden era of the Hulk. This is kind of the the Hulk that I like. Um, is, is the Buscema Hulk, and this is kind of proto. I did look it up real quick and. Um, you know, without going into interior credits of individual issues or what, it looks like, um, or what I mean is, uh, you know, barring any um, guest appearances in other books by the Hulk, it looks like Buscema had done um, inking on a couple issues of the Hulk prior to this, but he hadn't actually drawn the character from what I could tell. Um, cause he had done, I mean, he'd been all over the place, but he'd done like Rawhide Kid and Silver Surfer and Captain America and stuff like that, um, as Penciler. Mm-hmm. But a lot of, a lot of his credits up to this point were actually Inker credits. Um, and everything I'm seeing listed here for the Hulk that he had worked on, uh, worked on are Inker credits. See, I, so, I, I, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say I think you're right that you know this is probably his first actually you know penciling the Hulk. Yeah, see, I, I like the artwork in this in general, uh, but I, I also, you know, I, I think the the Hulk I see it as kind of a he was he was a, a pro, you know work in progress as far as his Hulk went. Uh, you know, he, this this is kind of you know again he's just dipping his foot in the water and, and kind of learning how to how to do this particular character, which he's going to eventually become so well known for doing. Uh, 
but I don't think, you know, I think, I think he, he got a better grasp on it as time went on. I think there's flashes of it in here, uh, but there's also flashes where he's, it, it feels like he's working with the way other people draw him, uh, as opposed to making it his own. And, and like I said, there's that, that fat ass picture that really stood out to me. Uh, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting and it almost felt like I needed to retcon it, but, or to, to no prize it in my own mind, but, the shot where the where Submariner is looking at him on some sort of a monitor, and then when they when he comes out into the ruins, uh, and and the, you know a few shots there, he, he it looks to me like he's squinting in all these shots, and I don't know if it's that Jim Mooney just kind of didn't pick up on the way Buscema drew his eyes and and just went with the the squint look, or if it's more or less that. You know, again, I'm just kind of no prizing it in my head that he's coming out into this very sunny area, so he's squinting. But it just seems it just seems like a, a, an odd choice, a little bit for the drawing. No, you're right. I was looking at that too, and noticing that after his initial emergence from the sea and the first two pages that you rarely see his eyes after that. There's a lot, you know, there's a whole lot of panels with the Hulk in it, but almost every single one of them, he's squinting to the point where he looks like he actually has his eyes closed. Um, hey, I was, I was that, looking there saying, where'd you get that squinky eye? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really notice that until, um, you know, just kind of flipping back and forth through the art here. That, uh, yeah, very nearly every panel after page two of the Hulk, his eyes are essentially closed. And that, that's a little, that's bizarre. I, I've never cared for the squinty heroes. I know they used to do that with, um, Superman a bit, and especially with, uh, with Captain Marvel back in, it's like Captain Marvel flew around with his eyes closed all the time back in the day. And I, I never much cared for that, that look. I'm not sure what it's supposed to, I don't know if it's supposed to be, determination or whatever but it just comes off as like yeah their their eyes are closed i i just don't get it myself I, i'm not sure what that's supposed what that facial expression is supposed to be conveying yeah i i like i said i'm just taking it as he's on an island and when i've been on the island i think i get the squinky eyes too so you know i'll just take it take <laughs> it for that and you know uh, if if there's any Hulk that's designed by, to be like me, it would be the fat ass Hulk anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, I guess uh, we'll rate this one and talk about the next one. Uh, sure. I love this cover. I, again, I think it's a little atypical because it's not showing them in hero heroic poses. They, you know, they're. Uh, oh, you know, actually, before I rate it, <laughs> I had one other thought with this is. I just, you know, wish it just made more sense that the Submariner would have wanted to join the team for this. This is the kind of threat that he would just attack by himself on a routine basis if it came up. He wouldn't be like, oh, I need to get the most powerful heroes to help me with this. You know, <laughs> it, 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 this and in the next issue, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, whatever. Okay, so now getting on to... Uh, to, to the cover, I, I think this is a really, really cool... I, and it's it's borderline iconic. I'm going to say an A-minus on the cover. Uh, the interior art is a couple of little exceptions to it, but overall, I think it's really sharp. I think the, the Submariner and Silver Surfer really look good. 
Uh, I think the action sequences are dynamic. I think uh, the fight, you know, the fights are cool. And considering it's such a lame villain, I think he did a good job of making this an exciting book. So I'm going to say an A minus on the interior art. Uh, the story, uh, again, it just smacks of, hey, I, I really want to come up with an excuse for getting these three together. Uh, it's, it, I, I think with a little bit of thought, we could have had a, a, a little bit more of a bigger threat to, to make it make sense. Uh, so I'm going I'm to take away a little bit for the lack of creativity there, and I'm just going to give it a B. Uh, but if it was a more exciting threat, I think this would be a solid A book just because it, it's a total geek out moment for me. Uh, overall, I'll give the book a, a very solid B plus. Cool. Uh, I'm not far off with anything that you said. Uh, I really like this cover a lot. I like the use of color here. Um, I like how the sky um, has shades in it. You, you didn't see a lot of that kind of thing, uh, you know, way back in this time. So I, I like that. I like the use of color there and the use of color in the explosion. Uh, it's a very eye-catching cover, and, and it works really well. So, yeah, I think uh, your grade at A- is really good on that. Could could be a little bit better, but you know, for the most part, it's very good. Um, I always kind of wonder a bit about covers where the, you know, the hero of the title or whatever is, is not a little more prominent. We'll, we'll talk. We'll definitely talk about that uh, as it pertains to the next one. Um I mean, you could actually catch this on the stands and totally miss the, you know, that it's the Submariner's book. I mean, it, you know, with the Hulk, maybe it's just because he's, you know, he's he's huge and he's green and he's at the top of it, but it actually looks more like a Hulk cover uh, than it does a Submariner cover. Maybe that was the point. I don't know how the sales were on this book or whatever, but um, you know, it's just a minor point. But yeah, I agree with you. A uh, A minus on this one. I really like this cover a lot. I love the interior art. I think I'm actually much higher on it than you are, although I'm going to agree with you on A minus just because um, you know we we do get better from uh, from Sal Buscema. You know, I've seen uh, other stuff of his that I think is even tighter than this. But that said, uh, I really had no complaints with the art in this. I like it a lot. It wasn't until uh, you really pointed it out that uh, that I had I ever had the thought of fat ass Hulk because I thought the Hulk. Uh, looked great, and and a lot of that again is based on the opening splash, with uh, which I just think is great. As soon as I saw this, I was like, finally, you know, a Hulk from this era that's not, you know, the Herb Trimpy fat ass Hulk. And that's not to dump on Herb Trimpy. I like the guy a lot, but I was just never really crazy about his Hulk. Um, he always looked big and fat and doughy to me, as opposed to big and muscular. And that's how I see the Hulk here is. He's headed that way. He's still a little doughy, um, especially panel two of uh, uh, page two. It's like, okay, nope, that is a regression to fat-ass Hulk. Um, and even that panel, um, although I'd argue it a bit, but that panel that you pointed out I mean, with fat-ass Hulk, yeah, he, he's very wide, and it almost is like his ass cheeks are starting to slip out of his <laughs> pants. But there's muscle definition there, which is why I created that term of fat ass hulk is when when trimpy would draw him he would often have this same basic silhouette but it was the lack of muscle definition that just made him look like a big doughy fat ass whereas here you know that that panel 
on page three of the Hulk leaping, he may have the same girth, but there's a lot of muscle definition in there that's showing you that he's a big muscular creature. He's not just a big fat creature. And that was, you know, that was the big difference for me. It was that, you know, that, that muscle definition. Um, I'm going to interrupt you for just a second to defend my fat ass Hulk, uh, accusations <laughs> um, page page 15 panel 2 okay hang on I'm headed there okay and page 16 panel 3 the panel 2 I, he's uh, yeah alright I see a bit of it he's a bit wider I think and, in that panel and just to defend it again I, my, my thought process is Herb uh, not Herb Salvi Sema has not yet made this character his own and so own, he, exactly. he's building yeah. on what others did, and and he's doing it the way a lot of other people have done it. I mean, you you know from you know anybody who's listened to the show knows how much I love Kill Kane's artwork. But when he drew the Hulk, it was probably the ultimate fat ass Hulk. Probably made, he made <laughs> he made Herb, Herb Trimpey's Hulk look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, but but just the same, you know, I I love his stuff, and this this feels to me like he was working with a character model of Gil Kane's Hulk. But okay, right. You can move forward now that I've defended my position. <laughs> um, I think the only thing I'm going to disagree with you on, and in, in, in only slightly, um, is the story. I agree with everything you said about you know the, the the villain is lame, the threat is very contrived just to get these three in the room. But it's that aspect of the story that I, I like the best is seeing how these three interact with each other, especially the uh, confrontation between Namor and the Submariner meeting for the first time and battling each other and kind of feeling each other out and eventually, you know, forming a, a grudging partnership. I really like that. I, I, that entire sequence made the book for me. And that entire sequence uh, elevates the book quite a bit, you know, from, from a, uh, you know, a subpar threat and, and a very contrived reason to get everybody together. That was the shining moment of the book to me. And, uh, and so, you know, like I say, it just kind of elevated the whole thing. So I think you said a B, I'm going to go a B plus. Um, cause everything else in the story is, and it's like, eh, if these guys had already met and they just kind of teamed up for this issue and without all the fanfare and the fighting and all that sort of thing, then this would be very subst. This would probably be like a C minus at best, but it's because it's it's the first time getting these three together as a team and and forming that dynamic and just seeing how they play off each other. I I, I think it is uh, exciting in that regard. So overall grade. Um, oh gosh. Um, I, you know, I think I'll still go with an A minus. I, I think it's an important book. I think it's uh, I think it's just a lot of fun. You know, even you know, lame villain and everything aside, it's it's just really cool. And uh, you know, I never ever, when I was a kid, would have predicted that there would be a day when any issue of the Submariner of all things would be on my want list. But, you know, not long ago, this one was I, I purposely sought this one and the next issue out, um, you know, when I started building my Defenders uh, collection because I wanted to be a Defenders completist. And 
I'm thinking that that's why you and I might be thinking that we covered this before, because I, th- I remember talking about that on a show. I don't think we actually covered the issues that I can recall. I think I was just talking about the fact and, and you know, telling you that isn't it funny that, you know, I went from, you know, such a staunch name or, you know, hater really to actually having a couple issues on my want list eventually scoring them and being like damn these were really good because i i enjoy both issues quite a bit i i think this is really cool stuff it's funny this, and this, it has me the, the submariner the submariner was on my collectible list for a long long time and uh i have all but two issues and the second issue today is one of the two that i still need 35 yeah. oh okay if you see that I in the store be- let me know that one in issue I number nine i believe I will be keeping an eye out for that one because I wish I had had I, I have an app now for you know my whole collection you know, to, to keep everything um, you know straight between you know what I've got what I want to get rid of that sort of thing uh, it's CLZ if anybody's curious and it has a feature in there that when you buy comics you can put you know like where you bought it how much you spent I wish I had this app back when I acquired these issues, because now I'm really curious, what did I spend on these issues? And I, you know, you know me, I'm a cheap son of a bitch, <laughs> so it couldn't have been much. But if memory serves, there was one of these two issues I think I actually got for free, you know, by one of those, uh, by one of those deals where, you know, you spend so much money, and you, you know you earn credits towards you know like a like a ten dollar gift certificate type of you know you know what I'm talking about. I think it was I think it was like um, oh god what's the name of it Coliseum of Comics in Orlando or you know one of their Orlando locations where I'd filled one of their little punch cards and got credit. And I think I think it was this issue, but I could be wrong. I'm not sure. And either got it outright or got like ten bucks off, which made it affordable. And I ended up getting it for like five bucks or something. I don't something like that anyway. But but anyway, long story short, I did eventually acquire both of them, and it was just funny to me. You know, I remember consciously thinking at the time that you know, like kid me would never ever believe that I was spending money on back issues of Submariner because I just hated that character so much when I was a kid. I've come to kind of dig him now. I think I get him a little bit better than I ever did when I was a kid, but as a kid I just thought he was such an asshole. I just didn't I just couldn't. I think I think as a kid <laughs> as kids we we like the characters who are almost corny heroic. And, right. and then as, yes. as you get older you appreciate the irony and the realism of people who are, you know, yeah, on the surface they seem heroic but they're really assholes or on the surface, they seem like assholes, but when you dig deep, they have a heroic side to them. I think we, you know, like you, you develop, right. you develop more of an appreciation for that. You know, the I don't want to say subtlety because the <laughs> the submariner's attitude was not subtle at all. Uh, but to see his no. to see his heroism, sometimes it was a little bit more subtle. Uh, you know, and I right. I think that's that's kind of a cool aspect of it. And for whatever reason, I always appreciated the character, and I'm not I couldn't put my finger on exactly why. <laughs> all right so our next issue uh is submariner 35 
And I just want to put it out there for anybody uh, listening that, uh, you know, you really need to send me some sort of, uh, you know, and I'm speaking purely digitally, um, you know, some sort of thank you note because I spared you the book that I was going to originally bring, which was Green Lantern number 100 and... Ah, shit. Let me see. I can tell you real quick here. I want to say it was 106, but let me look it up real quick. Uh, It was... Yes. Green Lantern, Volume 2, number 106. You're welcome, because, wow. <laughs> it, been, it could have been a lot of fun, but, oh, my God, it was it was not a good book. So, anyway, you know, you know what, I, number I, I still just, you know, I'm going to give the readers fair warning. I could easily see uh, one day when we go to record and Scott has to scramble to come up with a book, and he says, hey, you know what, I had this book, let's just do it. Uh, so you you may hear this one later. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was one of those things where you know you picked the Marvel, so I was going to pick the DC, and I was doing I was going to do much of what you did with well, this is the book I'm reading right now, and I'm I'm kind of I'm doing several different reading projects, but primarily I'm doing this this one DC reading project and this one Marvel reading project. And in the DC one, I'm working my way through Green Lantern. And it's with very mixed results. And this particular issue of Green Lantern 106 um, is kind of the answer to a question I had. So he earlier, he acquired this little alien thing that was kind of like his little pet. And it would sit on his shoulder or, like, ride it's with like him. like a flowery-looking thing, right? Yes, it looked like a, like a flower, like a cross between, like, an orchid and a, and a, and a starfish. And his name was Itty. And I'm like, clearly something happens to this thing, because the Green Lantern era that I'm slightly more familiar with around the time of, like, Crisis on Infinite Earths, he didn't have it anymore, and I don't remember it ever being mentioned. So clearly something happened to Itty. Well, this an- this issue, 106, answers the question, whatever happened to Itty? And wow, was it a stinker. So <laughs> you may end up hearing it at some point. I don't know. We'll, we'll see if, if we're in need of a good shitty joke book at some point, you know, something we can just kind of rip up and make fun of, then maybe I'll bring it yeah. to the show. But yeah, it was not a good I don't, issue. But. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I just remember a cover of an issue, which must be around then when they buried Eddie and they're walking away from like the grave where they buried him. And it's, you know, like the, di- the mm-hmm. dialogue is, it's so sad to bury somebody who you love or something like that. And then like in the back, you see like there's tentacles coming out of the grave towards them or something. And right. I, I don't. It's meaningless, but that's that's what I remember about Eddie. And uh, that was either the issue before that or the issue before before that one. It was like one oh because I think if memory serves, it was like a three issue arc, like the death of Eddie, and he mutates into the thing you're talking about. So yes, yeah, it was just yeah, it was not good. <laughs> yeah, well, that one stands out to me because I remember uh, when I was a freshman in high school million years ago they still you know they did have us separated into grades we weren't all in one class with a school mom uh but uh they you know in the in the school bookstore down in the basement by the cafeteria you know you could buy notebooks and whatever and it was it wasn't even a bookstore that you could walk into it was you know a uh 
an alcove with a you know the gate that would pull down and they pull it up and you'd have to go walk up to the counter and ask for whatever you ha- wanted but he ha- actually had a couple of old not old but older you know not fresh off the stand comic books uh and i think i think his his total stock was like four issues and i just bought them all and that was one of them hmm. <laughs> so that's how you know my my itty connection <laughs> the itty connection. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> Submariner number 35. Uh, this is the March 1971 issue. was on sale December 1st, 1970 for a price of 15 pennies. Uh, cover once again by Sal Buscema depicting. So you've got uh, the Hulk, Namor, and Submariner kind of charging in to... The Avengers up on a ridge. They're standing essentially above them, and you've got uh, Iron Man, Goliath, and Thor. And the Avengers is saying, Avengers, or Thor is saying, Avengers assemble. We are sworn to halt yon trio and halt them we shall. And then you've got uh, Namor kind of looking at the Hulk going, Hurry, Hulk, we must uh, do battle alongside the Silver Surfer, even if, even if it means destroying the Avengers. Um, it's a good cover. It's not a great cover, in my opinion. I do like the use of color. It, it's very eye-catching in that regard, but it's just kind of staged a little weirdly. And again, kind of like last issue, but I think even worse than last issue, um, Namor is just one of many on the cover. There's nothing to really say, art-wise, that this is Namor's book. He's just one of many characters on the cover. Um, and that to me is always a little bit of a fail in, in a regard like this, because yes, it's a team up. Yes. It's a big old fight with the Avengers, but at the end of the day, this is still Namor's book. And so he's kind of reduced in that capacity on the cover, but that said, it's still a really good cover. I do. Uh, I do still enjoy it. All right, so credits on this one, exactly like last issue. A story, by the way, is called Confrontation. Uh, it's written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Sal Buscema, inks by Jim Mooney, and once again, Stan Lee is the editor. High above the world streaks the silver surfer on his flying board, along with two passengers, Namor the Submariner and the ever-incredible Hulk. Namor reminds the Hulk once again for their reason for teaming up, to present a powerful and unified front for confronting... Uh, that's badly worded and I wrote this myself for confronting the humans over their folly uh, of their new weather control machine they descend headed toward the island where the device is being finalized but the Hulk is tired of all this sitting waiting and talking leaping from the board the green Goliath lands amongst the United Nations forces scaring the fertilizer out of them and intent on smashing the machine himself Namor intervenes and somehow is able to talk the enraged beast down. Colonel Willis, a gung-ho Nick Fury type, steps forward demanding an explanation. He is reluctantly in charge of these UN troops and bitter about being uh, called away from the war in Vietnam to command uh, this uh, mission. Namor tries to explain and says the device needs to be deactivated until Atlantean scientists can arrive to examine it for a suspected flaw. The colonel doesn't like uh, this idea very much, but he isn't given much option when the surfer melts the weapons of half of his forces. 
the UN forces retreat to a nearby island and call for further instructions. Fearing damage to the device, the Secretary General orders the Colonel to stand down and tells them that other arrangements have been made as we see a close-up of his hand reaching for the red bat phone. Meanwhile, a meeting of the Mighty Avengers is underway with Captain America as chairman, and in attendance is the Black Panther, the Vision, Thor, Iron Man, Quicksilver, the Scarlet Witch, and Goliath. Uh, now, this is Hawkeye in his giant man phase. Cap says he and four others are off to do a TV spot for charity and that Goliath, Iron Man, and Thor are to remain behind on call for the UN in case of trouble with their secret project. Shortly, the board threesome receive a call uh, on the uh, aforementioned bat phone and it's off to the Caribbean in their jet. We are treated to a quick historical recap of the Hulk's very brief stint with the Avengers as a founding member before he was replaced by Captain America and Thor tells of his one-time encounter with the noble Silver Surfer. On the island, an Atlantean vessel surfaces, and Namor's betrothed, the Lady Dorma, disembarks along with the scientist Ichthon, which is a cool name, Ichthon. Namor orders him to proceed in his examination with all haste as the group witnesses the arrival of the Avengers jet overhead. Namor, the Surfer, and the Hulk go out to meet the heroes. Goliath recommends Thor belt them with Mjolnir, but for once, the son of Odin doesn't do anything rash and instead asks the trio for their reasoning in this course of action. But before Namor, Namor can spit the words out, the Hulk, impatient as always and just isn't itching for another good tussle, attacks Thor. And fight! Goliath attempts to smash the Submariner with his massive fists, and the Silver Surfer and Iron Man exchange ray blasts whilst the Hulk and Thor trade mighty blows. Hulk actually manages to belt Thor a good one, enough to separate Thor from his hammer. And this was at a time when he turned back into Donald, uh, Dr. Donald Blake if Mjolnir was out of his reach for more than 60 seconds. Iron Man and Silver Surfer manage to knock each other out through a head-on aerial collision, and Namor pounds Goliath into the sea where he begins to drown. Thankfully, Namor recognizes this and rescues the Avenger before it's too late. UN forces open fire on the Atlanteans surrounding the weather control device, but the Lady Dorma runs out into the line of fire to beg both sides to stop shooting. She desperately uh, pleads and gets through to the colonel, and he gives her five minutes for the scientists to make their case. The battle comes to an abrupt halt as an Atlantean horn is blown, signaling the start of the test. Ichthon blasts the device with a radium gun, adding just the merest iota of radioactivity to the power level of the machine's nuclear generators, and blammo! It explodes, proving um, somehow just how dangerous all this was. And that sequence makes absolutely not a lick of sense to me. Wow, Namor, the UN commander and Avengers alike say, I guess we were sure wrong about you. Uh, yeah, okay, says the Sea King, twerk nothing. Uh, the Hulk, meanwhile, still wants to smash and storms off in a huff when Namor and the uh, Silver Surfer don't let him. The Surfer then leaps on his board and says, screw you guys home, and lights out. The Avengers wish Namor well, and Namor is left pondering to Dorma whether he and his unlikely companions will ever team up again. The end. Um, I liked this issue a lot right up until the end. And then it just kind of falls apart, in my opinion. But otherwise, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I, once again, um, 
you know, much like the last issue, uh, I, I think the art is fantastic. I actually think the art's even better in this one. Um, the Hulk, for the most part, looks really good. He's still a little chunky, a little fat-ass, um, not near as squinty, although there is a lot of squinty in there. But, uh, you know, by this point, a lot of the characters that are in this one, um, Buscema had handled before, and I, I think they just look fantastic. Um, especially uh, Thor uh, really stood out to me in this is looking really good. And I, I love, love, love the fight sequence between um, Thor and the Hulk in this. It's, it's one of the better Thor-Hulk tussles that I can remember having seen. And uh, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, my only real critique of any of the fights... Because I think they do, you know, obviously Thor and the Hulk, you know, they fought before and, and they're a good match for each other. Um, Goliath and Submariner is, you know, portrayed the way I think it should be as being very one-sided. I mean, yeah, he's a big giant guy, but I mean, he's no match for Namor and that really comes off in the fight. The only one that really didn't make a lot of sense to me was Silver Surfer Iron Man. Um, this era of Iron Man, there, there's no way he's standing up to the Silver Surfer. So the very idea that simply running into each other head-on could knock the both of them out, I think, if anything, um, the Silver Surfer would have just pasted Iron Man. You know, I think he'd have gone right through him. Um, so I thought that part was a little bit ridiculous. But... Um, while it is still contrived, the, the the you know the whole thing really the reason for getting the initial three together, the whole fight, uh, everything, it it does come off a little bit better in this one. The Colonel is, uh, you know, he's a cardboard cutout character. He's he's very much in the Nick Fury mold, you know, the the gung ho commander and all that. Um, but it's, it's still a lot of fun. It's really, it's just the end of the story that doesn't make any sense to me. That if this was the big fatal flaw, that if they didn't watch the power level, that the thing was just going to blow up. Okay, well, he actually blows it up. It doesn't, like, level the island. It doesn't destroy the Earth. So, okay, there's that. But then also, couldn't they just have, like, sent them an email or something, letting them, hey, by the way, watch your power level on that thing or it's going to blow up. But it, it was the combination of the two. It was that it was a very simple flaw that they just could have let them know about. But then also it was that they actually caused the thing that they feared to happen. And when it happens, there's really no repercussions. Nobody dies. You know, there, there's just a big explosion and the machine blows up. So so what? So where was this big threat to humanity that they were talking about, you know, for two issues that, you know, we have to stop this or, or, you know, all of Earth could be destroyed or whatever the hell they said. You know, it was a danger to all humanity. Well, obviously it wasn't because they blow it up and it didn't do anything but blow up. Well, so, I, yeah, I think, that, I mean, and you know, you got to be willing to kind of go with your imagination on this, but he does say, uh, he adds the merest iota of radioactivity, and that causes, uh, you know, kind of a somewhat contained explosion. Uh, so my my interpretation on that was that if they had turned things on full blast, it would have been enough to blow up the world. Okay, all right. Well, I'll, I'll take that no prize, I guess. It's but still, does, is it just me, or does it still come off as like? 
Why didn't you just tell us? Why did you have to blow it up? You know? (laughs) Yeah, well, I go with it from the perspective of I thought Roy did a better job in this one with the threat slash villain because in the last one it was just, you know, a really cookie cutter, no personality, just, you know, insane dictator. In this one, it's a little bit more of a, you know, it's the U.N., so they're not going to be perceived as the villains. In fact, they get the Avengers on their side because they're, you know, at least at this point, they're considered to be a benevolent, uh, you know, institution that's working on behalf of humanity. And, and the, you have these people out there trying to stop them. So it's not going to be well received. So both sides actually take, you know, the, the step of, you know, let's, let's try and hold back. And if, if not for the Hulk, it, it would have been, let's discuss this, let's go through it. And we would have gotten this all done. So in that regard, it was a bad thought of the, of the submariner to actually have the Hulk on his team. Uh, but just the same, there's, there's more of a subtlety to this one than the last one, which, you know, it doesn't take much to be more subtle than, in, than the last one. But I, I do think that all goes <laughs> now, you know, in, in my, just, you know, initial thoughts, uh, which I kind of have to quash a little, I, you know, I sit there and say, well, why couldn't this be like a real earth-threatening menace like Kang or Dr. Doom or somebody, you know, somebody really significant? And then you come back to, well, then it would be easy for them to just team up, first of all, because it's, you know, you know, here, look, there's a clear threat against us. And in this one, again, it's a little bit more subtle. It's, you know, here, here are these people who are trying to do, you know, to benefit mankind, with their weather control, uh, but they don't realize the folly of their ways. Now, not realizing the folly of their ways is a little silly, but at least it you know it it it's, it holds up a little better in that regard. Um, and I think you know the bottom line is you wanted the focus to be on the the really the the six heroes that we have here, and not so much on the threat. You know, the, the threat is is the you know it, what what was uh, all of a sudden I'm drawing a blank. You know, Alfred Hitchcock would call the, uh, you know, whatever reason he had for the threat to go on. And, and I, oh, the MacGuffin, MacGuffin, I couldn't remember the word. So, you know, the, in this, the threat is the MacGuffin. You don't want it to be a, a true uh, villain that's going to take away from, you know, the heroes in, in, the, in the presentation. So that all makes sense to me. And I'm kind of cool with that. A uh, couple other notes, you know, just that I had was that uh, Ichthon... Uh, isn't like the study of the ocean like ichthyology or something like that? Yeah, I believe so. So, uh, so yeah. that's you know, that's kind of I, 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 it's silly, but it's kind of cool as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I love the two thirds splash uh, when the when the two teams first meet up with each other with the uh, the the Titans three standing above the three Avengers looking down on them. Yeah, I think that's just a dynamic, beautiful shot that's well drawn, well inked, well laid out, <clears throat> with none of the heroes looking at the reader. Uh, in fact, the three Avengers are looking away from the reader. You get in the back of the three heads, and and the uh, the Titans three are all just looking, you know, really just large and in charge at the top of the page. So I think that's really cool, and then it's followed up with. You know, pretty cool shot of the the Hulk attacking Thor. Uh, yeah, I think the artwork in this is definitely a a, a step above the last issue. Uh, but just to kind of go with the theme, if you go to page eighteen, uh, middle row right, that is, it's, it's like somebody said, Sal, could you include a, a, a fat ass <laughs> Hulk shot in there? 
<laughs> oh yeah, sure. I'll do. I'll do a fairy assault. No problem. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, and and you know the other thing is you know I, I think it was pretty much. I, I was going to say an unwritten rule, but for all I know, it may have been you know written in some memo that Stan handed out that if two heroes face off, it has to be a draw somehow. So that that's why the Silver Surfer and Iron Man fight to uh, you know a, a respective draw in this, because otherwise it would be it would be a no contest. There's no way Iron Man. Uh, Without without any sort of special prep can hold up to the Silver Surfer of this era, right? So you know, but you know, he, I, I, we we've talked about this in the past. At some point, you know, you, you'd have uh, the Silver Surfer fighting you know a street level guy like Daredevil, and Daredevil is holding his own against him, which is just you know, right. th- th- there's no <laughs> way in the world that could happen. But you know, that that's the way they wrote it all the time. Uh, and I, like I said, it was either an unwritten or a written rule. And I'm not sure which, but it, it was clearly a rule. But this, this is, you know, this is just a fun issue. I think, again, I think, I think this was in their minds a tryout for a team book because I think, I think it's twofold. I think, you know, they were trying to bump up the uh, sales on, on Submariner and just, you know, get interest in it. But even the way that the uh, story ends off with, and perhaps we shall meet again one day. Perhaps, you know, right. <laughs> I think that that definitely st- is like that's that's saying, hey, listeners, uh, or excuse me. Hey, readers, uh, let us know if you like this and, you know, we'll do we'll give you more of it. Uh, and and I'm guessing the, the readers did tell them they liked it because not too long afterwards we got the defenders. Right. So but overall, overall, I I think these are just two fun books. Absolutely, yeah. I really, really like both of them. Um, it's it's actually kind of hard for me to pick which one I like better. <laughs> I like them both quite a bit. I I like that they complement each other. Um, it is sort of a continuation, but as you said before, they also kind of stand alone. Uh, you know, to a certain degree. Um, I mean, the team's already assembled as this one starts, so you kind of do need the prior issue to understand that. But otherwise, you know, it it kind of is its own standalone story, which I, I like quite a bit. A um, couple specific notes I had on this one. I don't remember this red, you know, emergency phone for the Avengers, so is this a subtle nod to Batman That's here? what I thought. I, I can't help you. Yeah. I just thought that was fun that he, you know, the Secretary General of the UN picks up a, a red phone with an A on the front that calls to the Avengers. I just don't recall that being a thing before, so I really liked yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know if we ever saw it again, to be honest. Uh, page 7, I couldn't help but notice that, uh, that Cap's ears are miscolored. They're colored as part of his cowl um, in both of the panels that we see Captain America. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, I know what Cap is saying here, but it, it comes off like he's saying that he's leaving his three strongest members behind for the UN, you know, the possible UN situation. Well, one of those three is Goliath, and there ain't no way in hell that Goliath is stronger than the Vision. That just That's just silly. They, they um, often did like, that with, with Hank Pym as Giant Man or Goliath and with the Clint Barton uh, Goliath that they made made him seem like he's so much stronger than he really is. And then ultimately right. he would be humbled yeah. in more occasions than not. 
I really don't care for uh, for this uh, incarnation of of Clint Barton. I just don't like his his Goliath phase. I think a lot of it has to do because he just looks silly. I just think this outfit he wears is just flat ridiculous. But uh, but yeah, I, I, just I think it was the Clint Barton version, and I just I don't know why it stood in my it stands out in my mind. But it's because it's one of the earlier back issues that I got when I started collecting was there's an issue of the Avengers probably in the 60s or so uh, where uh, it's the issue that introduces uh, Admantium to the Marvel Universe and they're testing it to see its strength so they have Thor and Iron Man you know uh, you know trying to pound it and see what they could do with it and then then Goliath is like step aside and let me at it and I was like what (laughs) (laughs) oh well yeah you're 10 feet tall so you have to be stronger than thor you know it's like please just just sit down and shut up sit sit down in your oversized chair and stop (laughs) but even even as a young kid i I thought that was absolutely ridiculous i love that shot the third panel on page seven that shot now they're sitting around and they're just bored but i especially like how Thor looks right there. That is just a damn good picture of Thor. I just I love the look at his yeah, face. He, he he's got you the know? expression on his face, and then Iron Man's body language says boredom. Yep. Yeah. And then you know, I just, just I, getting back to Goliath, I always questioned like, well, why are you giant sized right now? You know, you're in the mansion. There's no threat yet. Why, why aren't you? You know, stop being the big shot and just shrink down to regular human sized. But then. What I the way the way I respond to that in my head is that I, I figure it probably is a big strain on the body to shrink and grow and shrink and grow. So when you're in your giant mode, you might want to just leave it there unless you have reason to shrink. So that's how right. that's how I answer that one. Well, am, I, am, am I remembering correctly that he got stuck at some point, or am I just remembering some other growing shrinking character? Hank Pym got and, stuck. I don't think Clint Barton ever did. Okay. I can't remember, but yeah, I, that would always annoy. Whether it was you know Goliath or, or Ant Man with the Avengers or the Atom over you know with with the Justice League, anytime you had a growing or shrinking character, then that was either you know giant size or insect size or whatever you know shrunken down during the course of just normal events would always kind of annoy me a little bit. It's like, why is it just to show off your power? You yeah. know, that, and it, that, that just seems weird. But me. that's, that's how I justify it in my mind that it, it, it is a little bit of a strain on the body. So to, to reduce that strain, or maybe, you know, like when you first do it, maybe it, it takes a lot of effort. So, you know, you have to kind of recover from that. Although that's not the way they show it. Like, when they're in a battle and all of a sudden they show, they grow to giant size and you know all of a sudden they're you know major threatening, so they don't make it seem like they're weakened by it at all. But you know I I, I can accept in my mind that it takes a toll on their body in the long run, so they don't shrink and grow and shrink and grow at a whim. Right. So it works for me a little bit, but uh, you know I, you you talked about which of these two would be uh, you know. Which, which you would prefer over the other. Uh, I think the stories are both a little silly in their in their own way because, again, because they had to keep the threat to a level where it didn't dominate the story. Uh, so I, I think this one wins because of two things. First of all, I think the artwork is a little, you know, it's a step higher. 
uh, and second of all, because you're including, you know, not only the Titans three, but you got the Avengers in there too. So the more the merrier. So I, I, you know, and plus this one, this is one of the ones I'm still searching for in my uh, collection. So, you know, it, it makes it a white whale that I want. Uh, just to continue the theme, yeah. if you go to page 10, uh, the very middle panel and the bottom panel, now uh, Submariner's gotten going for the squinky eye look. <laughs> I can't see! <laughs> Open your eyes, idiots! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't get the squinky eye thing. I don't know what, again, is that supposed to be rage, determination... I just don't know what they're going for with that. But yeah, it does. It looks like like he's squinting against a bright light or something. I just don't quite get what they're going for with that. <laughs> you know what I think of is you know it, it was definitely more common in the era before digital photography. But you know, you take a picture and then when you got them developed there was the you know, like a group shot of four people and there was always the one person who was in the middle of blinking in the shot and it looks like they like they're totally high. That's that's what I that's what I picture in my mind. Dude, it was it was always fun yep. to take like the most straight laced person in the world who you knew didn't drink or do anything else, and you get a picture like that and you say, "Oh look, they're high." <laughs> yeah, but whatever. Now I'm wondering about something that I, I noticed this also happens in 34, but it's a little more subtle than it is here. So. Page 11, you've got that awesome, you know, like, not quite three-quarter page, but that, the you know, the, the panel that you talked about that's like a pseudo-splash page of, you know, the uh, Avengers confronting um, the Titans 3. Then you turn the page, and for the next two pages, you've got... Um, a strip of uh, of panels across the top, and then the lower half is an ad of some kind. And something funny happens to the art. This happened last issue too. Same same exact thing. Right in the middle of the book, right in the middle of the story, you had two pages that have art, or excuse me, that have an ad rather, on the lower half of the page, and the art looks funny it's inconsistent with the art in the whole rest of the book and i was trying to figure this out i'm like is this a late addition to the story you know something they decide like a bridging sequence they decided to add in or something but it's just it is not art wise it is not consistent with the entire rest of the story I, I wonder if you, you see what I'm yeah, talking about. I mean, about? it was it was a common practice for them to do that at that point in time for the half ad page. They probably were able to charge more for the ad, saying, "Hey, it's part of the story. The readers can't just pass it up quickly." Um, but I would, you know, I would imagine the artists were a little bit more constrained in that on this page you have to do a half page, and maybe that changed the artwork a little bit. I, I'm grasping at straws to come up with a reason but that's all i can think of yeah i mean the, the, yeah, i don't I, think I the artwork looks bad on those two pages it's just it does look like it's a little i don't know uh less detailed at least the second page the, the page with the hulk jumping down like the details look a little bit more muddy yeah I mean, to me, it's like everything is different. It's it's like 
the pencils aren't as strong, the inking is definitely different, and then even the color is different. So, I, yeah, I couldn't figure this out. The only other thing I can think of is that, you know, I'm looking at this from a scan. I need to actually pull the actual book out, you know, the paper issue out, and see if it's as jarring in that is that maybe these those two pages are from a different source or a different scanner or something? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing here. But it definitely, as it's presented here, the art definitely looks different. And I couldn't quite place exactly what's going on here. But it, it did give the... Did you ever see um, when Marvel printed the, uh, the Return of the Jedi... They initially that came out as one of those Marvel Comics super specials, you know, the magazine size, mm -hmm. and then they reprinted it as four individual issues, you know, like a mini series. Right. And when they did, they included, you know, quote unquote bonus content that was clearly drawn by a completely different art team. So it was jarring. You would get to the the bonus page. And it was just, I mean, it was obvious. It was, it, they would have been better off just like adding in some pinups or something if they were trying to give you some sort of reason to buy it again, you know, if you already owned it, you know, bonus content. Right. Because it was just incredibly jarring. And that's how this comes off to me. It's, it's very jarring that all of a sudden the art just looks different. Um, I, I do still think that it's, Salbucema, based on uh, Namor and the Hulk, I'm not sure about everything else. I don't know if this is the same inker. I don't know if it's the same colorist. It, it, it really looks that different to me. What do you think? Uh, it didn't stand out that much to me as being different. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do see what you're talking about, it, It's but it didn't... It didn't feel to me like it was a different anchor. It could be. It's always possible. Uh, like I said, I see more of a, dis a difference in the one panel for page 13 than I do in the three panels for page 12. So, right. so I, I don't know. Uh, the, the, the line, like I said, the, it looks a little less detailed and the lines look a little thicker on the uh, page 13 one. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. The inking's much more solid and, and black in the whole rest of the book than it is on those two pages. I thought. Yeah. I don't know. It was just something I noticed that I, I couldn't quite cipher out. Um, page fourteen, panel three. This is one awful piece of dialogue. So you've got Iron Man attacking the Silver Surfer. And he says, we'll reason together with you, surfer, uh, when we're sure you won't pearl our harbor. I'm like, what? <laughs> that is awful. Oh, Roy, man. That is terrible dialogue. <laughs> it's just that one where it just really jumped out to me. But um, Really, the only other things I've got on this is uh, both of these issues that we just covered are reprinted in the Essential Defender, uh, Defenders, Volume 1. And then this issue, 35, is also reprinted in uh, a trade paperback called Thor vs. Hulk, 
from 2017. So somebody else must have thought this was a pretty uh, pretty good Thor versus Hulk tussle too, because they reprinted it in that. And I agree. I think this is one of the better uh, Thor versus Hulk tussles myself that I can remember. Anyway, I, I liked this one a lot. Yeah, I, just, I remember the uh, you know in the first one. I think it was in like Avengers three or whatever. And then it was so abbreviated that they had to do an issue of the Hulk of Thor rather, where it's like, Oh, let me reminisce about this battle I had with the Hulk so that they could expand it. Right. I remember that. Yep. (laughs) You know, uh, as far as my Marvel reading right now, I'm currently making my way through uh, term, uh, Tomb of Dracula, which is a, a long-delayed reading project for me. You know, it's something I, I've wanted to read that title start to finish you know, for decades, literally decades I've wanted to, and I, I finally decided, you know, I'm just going to sit down and plow through it, and I'm having a blast reading that. Um, but The Defenders, I think, is, is going to be my very next thing, because... Uh, you know, I have a complete collection. I, I took all the time to build it and, you know, all the effort and money and everything to put into that. And then it just sits in a box. So I, I think that's going to be my next one. I've been putting it off for a long time. I, I was going to include it in my, uh, you know, the Marvel read through I was doing. But I'm so backed up on that that, you know, I think I'm, I'm just going to jump it ahead in the queue and just read that, you know, read the series on its own because, Anytime we we cover stuff like this that touches on the defenders, I you know I almost always uh, end up really digging it a lot. So I, I you know I need to stop putting it off and just dive into yeah, it. Dive. Exactly. But yeah, I like this a lot. This this was a lot of fun. Uh, are we ready for grades on this? Uh, I'm ready. All right. So. I like the cover. I'm not nuts about the cover. Um, it's just something about the staging and, and all of that. But it, it is a good cover. I think I would go. Uh, I think I'd go a solid B on the cover. Could be better. Could be staged a little bit better. But uh, but it is still dynamic, and I really do like the use of color on it. Um, interior art's fantastic. I, I really like this one. I'm gonna put it right up there um, with uh, with the last issue, and it might actually be a, a slight improvement over the last issue because I think the Hulk will be even better in this one. Um, he's not squinking in every single panel and everything. Um, I dig this. I think the the inks are really good in this one as well. So uh, yeah, I think I'm just gonna go same same grade A minus because um, I, I have seen better. I, I think there is still room for improvement, but overall, I really really dig the art in here. And uh, and again, four looks fantastic in in just about the entire book. So yeah, very uh, very high on the art. I think it's it's really solid. And the story is really good. I do think it's better than the prior issue. Um, but I'm still, I was still at the very end of it. I was kind of let down, like, so that's what all of this was, was about, you know, and, and the whole demo thing just kind of fell flat for me. And, and the resolution of the story falls a little, a little flat as well. Um, but otherwise it, <laughs> you know, you can't fault it for dynamism and, and excitement. You know, it's, it's got a really good tussles. It's got, you know, all the drama and everything. So, you know, I like all that. So I think I would go. Uh, I think I'm going to go an A minus on the story as well. I really uh, I dig this one. This one's a lot of fun. So uh, what is that? I think that's an A minus all around for the whole book. So yeah, I dig this one. This one's a lot of fun. 
And uh, I can't help but be a little sad at the very end of it because it, it teases that the next issue is the wedding between uh, Namor and Lady. Or Norma guess who's not going to? <laughs> sorry to interrupt. I was going to yeah. say, or guess who's not going to be a sub a supporting character for much longer? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think she dies in the very next issue after that. So yeah, poor Lady Dorman. Aww. Um, two things about the cover first of all uh, I'm a little torn on my rating only because if if I saw this cover on the stand there's no question I'm picking it up I'm buying this issue so it serves its purpose exactly the way it needed to so I almost feel bad criticizing it for that reason but uh, first of all the dialogue is totally unnecessary this this does not need any dialogue at all secondly uh, the Submariner looks like he was a late afterthought into the cover. So let me let me just draw him running in from the side. Uh, it, it really appears to me, and I, I wonder somehow, it, it appears to me that you should have had the Hulk in his position and the Submariner in exactly the same position on the other side. And, and this would be much more uh, visually exciting. The only thing is it's a Submariner's book and do you want to show him an only profile? You know, I, I, I suspect the way this looks, like I said, that it, it looks like he's added in. I suspect that possibly it was drawn the way I picture it and that some editors said, no, you can't have the Submariner, you know, looking like he's a guest star in his own book. So you got to, you know, at least have him so that you could see his face and everything. Uh, but I think this cover would be so much better if they had it that way. I think it would be, you know, it really would be a poster image at that point. That said, it's right. not a bad image. It's you know, it's it's well drawn. Uh, I just feel like it could be better. So that keeps it from top marks right there. Uh, so I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a solid B. I think it could could have been an A if it was the other way. If you took if you took off the dialogue and reposed the Submariner in in a, the same position as the Hulk, you know, just on the other end, bookending him. Uh, the interior art. I agree with you that it feels like it's just a, a notch above the previous issue uh that said the hulk still looks a little fat assy to me uh but i i think it's you know it's clean art it's salvusema it, it it brings the story along really well uh there's a couple of really dynamic shots in it i think it's it's very very solid so i'm going to agree with you on an a minus on that it's it's just not the absolute top of the line but it is really good um Story-wise, the biggest complaint is also a necessary thing, as far as I'm concerned. The the biggest complaint is that the threat just doesn't seem worth it. Uh, But on the other hand, again, I I wouldn't want the threat to be, uh, you know, overshadowing the the connection between the heroes and and the battle between the two teams and all of that. Uh, Some of it seems a little contrived, like, you know, well, I'm only going to send you three because the others of us have to make a personal appearance, which just seems kind of (laughs) stupid to me. Um, Right. So, you know, there's there's a little, you know, some some things of convenience here. Uh, Also just worth mentioning is uh, the trope of, oh, if I don't pick up Mjolnir in 60 seconds, I'm going to turn into Don Blake. it's funny because, you know, I grew up with that, so I kind of was just so used to it, and I kind of liked it because I was so used to it. And and I remember, I don't know if it was Gene Hendricks or somebody else who was just saying, you know, oh, they're so happy that they got rid of that because it was so silly. You know, maybe Tom Harris, I don't know. Uh, looking back, it really was silly. But it was so, and it was so overused. It's like, you know what, 
hang on to the stupid hammer. <laughs> What's the matter with you? <laughs> uh, so, you know, this, the story just has, like I said, it just seems a little too, there's, there's some plot conveniences in there and some contrived moments. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say a B minus on the story, but this is definitely a case of uh, the overall grade exceeding the sum of the parts because I think it's just an A book in my mind. I read it. I love it. I will need to find this in a store somewhere and, and pick it up and add it to my collection and get this one this one in issue nine and close out my Submariner collection. Uh, that will happen at some point. But, uh, you know, overall, I just I, I dug this book. Me too. So I guess that will do it for today, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. I told you, I'm not Aquaman. I am the Submariner. What's your deal? I'm just like Aquaman, but I can't get fish to do things. That's the big thing. I mean, isn't that all Aquaman does? No, he can also breathe underwater, and he's strong, like me. Isn't everyone strong underwater? No, no, not like me. I can punch a big octopus a really long way. Hey, guys. Hey, Aquaman. (laughs) Hey, make a fish do something. Oh, shucks, guys. I don't know. I guess I could do something like... This? Wow, a real superhero. I I have little wings on my feet. It's over. It's over.